Welcome back to season two of Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a podcast all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. Is the Bible inspired? If so, how is it inspired? Does taking the Bible seriously mean taking the Bible literally? What do we know with texts of error? From her home in Dayton, Tennessee, author Rachel Held Evans talks with Jonathan about approaching scripture both with playfulness and wonder, finding enchantment in it again. We hope you enjoy. Well, welcome back to the Son of a Preacher Man, a very special edition today because I'm in the home of Dan and Rachel Held Evans. Thank you for having me here. Oh, you're it's most amazing. welcome. You're in our dark, creepy basement. It's not creepy at all, actually. I mean, we've got, there's like, people can't see, but Gandalf over here, and I've a had lot amazing of wood barbecue. Paneling. A lot of wood paneling, yes, <laughs> yes. But some cool recording equipment. Very cool. And my husband and my baby, that's cool. That's very cool. Well, and I even thought, well, and just in the, uh, the other side of the room there in the desk, I just realized how many people, like listeners and followers of mine, would probably just want to see the desk. Like, that would be a sacred space for them, you know? <laughs> they like, would be so just a picture of the desk. <laughs> epically disappointed in what they see. It's just, it's dark and dreary and there's, it's very messy. And there's an, like a bag of Doritos half eaten. I'm As sure. there should be. That's what makes, that's what makes you feel at home. That feels cozy to me. That's comforting somehow. Oh, you are always welcome here in well, thank you. Dayton, Tennessee. Thank you for real for making the trip. That was, oh, yeah. you went a little out of your way and I'm grateful. Oh, I've, I've, I've so wanted to come back and especially knowing I'd be, I'm moving the end of this week to Oklahoma city. So there's a lot going on with all that. And I just, you know, I'd really wanted to make it a point to get back over here. Thanks for taking the time. And as much as I love just hanging out with you in general, um, I really, really love inspired. I think it's a wonderful book and I've told so many people about it, I've recommended it, but we've not had the opportunity to really talk about the book. And it's, it's cool too. Cause I feel like one of the things that we do just, naturally whenever we hang out is we talk so much about the Bible and I don't know. So it's just cool even specifically reading your your journey as it relates and narrates scripture because I feel like, you know, that's just very much the journey you've been living. It's cool now to hear the, the way in which you're finding your own story within the story of the text. Yeah. Yeah. It's been well it's been kind of an ongoing thing. It's still still in process for sure. Sure, sure. So what um Here's a fun question, maybe just to get the ball rolling. In the in your as your faith has evolved and changed, would you say that your that your view of scripture is higher or lower than what you started with? <laughs> well, see, everybody thinks their view of scripture is high. Yeah. So I mean, you basically high equals my. My right. view of scripture yes, yes, is yes. the high view of scripture. Yes. I would say that what I understand high view to be has changed. Mm-hmm. Um Whereas I think I used to think that a high view of scripture meant interpreting everything as historical and scientific Mm. and interpreting everything as um, kind of the same as every passage, every book, every, um, you know, poem and letter and law carries the same weight or should be read in the same way. Um, And that was, you know, as literal and um, infallible uh, I, that's what I used to think a high view of scripture was. And you kind of defended that to the death. You know? Sure. Uh, whereas now I think uh, I would interpret a high view of scripture as being, um, or I would speak of a high view of scripture as being one that really respects the various texts for what they are mm-hmm. and uh, written in their 
the context in which they were written, the historical, religious, cultural context in which they were written, respecting that, mm-hmm. um, not demanding more out of them than they give us or less out of them than mm-hmm. they give us. Um, and then and seeing them as part of sort of this a larger story of God's redemptive work in the world. Mm. Um, so yeah, I would say what I understand a high view of scripture uh, has, mm. what I take that to mean has certainly changed. And I think for the better, I think I respect yeah. the Bible more than I used to. Yeah. I think I thought I was respecting the Bible by mm-hmm. demanding that it be scientific and historical and all of these things. And um, now I'm realizing it makes more sense to me actually as a student of literature to mm-hmm. try to respect the literature that we find in the Bible. So a creation narrative doesn't need to be interpreted as science. And we sure. don't need to try and force people who had ancient views of cosmology mm-hmm. into having modern views of cosmology and science. That's that's actually kind of doing a disservice to the text, even yeah. a violence to the text. We don't need to expect that stories that emerge out of a deeply patriarchal culture, we don't need to demand, we don't need to water them down by trying mm-hmm. to change them and make them not as patriarchal. Like that's mm-hmm. not actually serving the text. Yes. I think wrestling with it as it is mm-hmm. just does a, a more service to it and is, mm-hmm. is actually ultimately more respectful. So that means, you know, not always trying to find a neat and tidy explanation for the troubling stories. Yes. I used to think that having a high view of scripture meant uh, defending one point of view mm-hmm. and um, defending it all as true and good and now I'm realizing that if something, if a story doesn't sit well with me, it's okay yeah. to sit with that discomfort. Yeah. And that actually wrestling with the text is another way of honoring it mm-hmm. instead of trying to tidy it up and clean it up and pretend like, oh, you know, this isn't such a patriarchal story. It's actually mm-hmm. not, it's not honest. Yeah. And I think God wants us to bring our true selves to the text and yes. to the Bible. And um, yeah, so I guess it's my view of high, the high view of scripture is evolving. And yeah. Uh, has evolved. Well, it's, you know, I, it's a random way to start, but it's, it's a curiosity question I have, because, you know, I feel like one of the things I love about the book is that there's a playfulness and there's, there's a very human engagement, but I feel like there really is a sense of of reverence to it. And and as as my views on all that continue to evolve, it's just, it's funny because I feel like I would have, I thought my view of scripture was so high, but what I realize now is that it was not enchanted at all. Yeah the rules of kind of 20th century mm. fundamentalism that that is such a flat text it's not mystical right it's not a, the ground on which you encounter god right it's a fact book right and yeah. so you have this all this rhetoric about these very high views of scripture but then in practice it's like it's al- it's almost a common book and right. it's revered as this holy thing, but the way it's used feels common to me. In yeah. Ways now. And we're using all the same old arguments that we would use for any other sort of text. And it's like, right. instead of just, I mean, the, I think one of the big things that changed for me was uh, encountering Jewish Midrash, yeah. Midrashic interpretations yeah. of scripture, because they are so much more playful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Midrash is um, sort of a rabbinic Jewish tradition around interpreting uh, the stories in the Torah and throughout scripture. And it sort of fills in the blanks where, you mm-hmm. know, a story like, for instance, um, 
the book of Genesis says that Leah had weak eyes. What does it mean that she mm. had weak eyes? And so there's all these midrashic interpretations around they were you know weak because they, it was from weeping, mm. or they were weak because um, she had some kind of sight impairment. And then there's whole stories that imaginatively engage this tiny little detail that we would mm. never notice. Or they just fill in the gaps. Like, so what was... Abraham like as a child and they mm. make up all these stories around it and 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 this ancient way of sort of inserting yourself into the story imagining the possibilities around the story it's it was so liberating to encounter that because I had done that as a child I used to to mm. think about the Bible in that way when I was a kid I would make up stories with the characters of the Bible we had these my dad was able to secure this cool like flannel graph set uh, you know with all the little characters you could put up on the oh, board awesome. yeah yeah i think he got it from like a, a sale he got it from this uh, sale that they were having at this big christian school um they were cleaning it all out and getting rid of a bunch of stuff so my sister and i would pretend that we were these you know the various characters in the bible like ruth mm. or esther or kind of slim pickings when you're <laughs> a little girl but right sure <laughs> we, we had a narrow repertoire and but then we would imagine all these other encounters that would ha be happening wow. and it was probably the most in love with the bible i've ever been mm. and the most engaged imaginatively and uh, intellectually and so kind of encountering madrash as an adult i realized well i was kind of doing this as a child yeah. and i think the bible invites that kind of um just imaginative play mm -hmm. and um fun. And yes. also, you know, when you're a kid, you also, I am finding this with my, my kids now and with being around a lot of kids these days, the freedom to ask questions, the freedom to say, I don't like that story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Adults, when they go to the Bible, they feel like they can't say, I don't like that story. Right. When I was a kid, I remember saying, I don't like the story of Abraham and Isaac. Mm -hmm. No child should like that story. No mm -hmm. adult should like that story. Mm -hmm. That is a deeply troubling tale on its yes. at least on its surface yes um and so i guess a part, big a goal of mine with inspired and with my work these days is to try and help people kind of recover some of their childlike yeah. uh sensibilities around mm -hmm. engaging the bible because i think those are oftentimes spot on mm -hmm. you know we have these first instincts to these stories maybe we ought to listen to those our first instinct when we hear about um, a garden with magical mm. trees and a talking snake like we yeah. know instinctively that this is not a scientific account. Yeah. We know that. But somebody along the way, some adult, <laughs> mm. some well-meaning Sunday school teacher talked us out of our gut instinct regarding the genre of that text. And we were right mm. the first time. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so a lot of Inspired is actually trying to remind people um, to go back to that childhood mm. fascination, those yes. childhood instincts and, and responses when you were honest enough to say, I don't like that story, or, mm -hmm. you know, this story sounds like certainly not a science account. Yes, uh, yes. So, yeah, and and I'm thankful because Midrash kind of opened that up for me, our mm -hmm. Jewish uh, predecessors and um, neighbors opened that mm -hmm. world up for me again. And I might have, when I might otherwise just have been so burned out and tired and, yeah. of the Bible. I love what you do with midrash in in the book because well for me what it reminded me of and it's a similar journey is i feel like growing up in the pentecostal church because i was so shaped by pentecostal preachers and black church preaching which you know in that world largely one of the same and there's so much imagination but then like when i first got exposed to higher criticism of the bible i was taught that nearly every interpretive move that i would have heard 
would be out of context. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was wild for me then well into my 20s when I start reading church fathers, start reading patristic stuff, like the earliest followers of Jesus, they they break all of our rules. You know, they're reading about the Amalekites and even the in you know, in the first century it's all like dealing with the Amalekites and you. I mean, that sounds like a <laughs> <laughs> like a Joel Osteen sermon or something, but that's really the kind of move they would make. Or um, I don't know, just the way that Paul and the other New Testament writers use the Old Testament. So many things become about Jesus that had no frame of reference to any kind of messianic prophecy. It's just they're punch drunk in love with Jesus, and they're seeing Jesus everywhere, <laughs> all over the text. Right. Well, the epistles are chock full of the same thing, and yes. the, I mean, yeah, that's been happening from the beginning. Yes. I mean, you and I were just talking at lunch about how sometimes. You're reading along in the epistles, and it's like, well, that's kind of a stretch, and that and that um, interpretive move is a little bit of a stretch. Oh, sure. And yet, it's, they're so enamored by this person of Jesus, they're rereading every yes. story with him in mind, and yes. that was not so completely contrary to Jewish tradition. Mm -hmm. Like that was permissible in Second mm -hmm. Temple Judaism was to kind of play around with it a little yeah. bit, and we've lost so much of that. It doesn't Absolutely. mean that a text can mean anything, and right. you can just insert, you know. Um, you know, whatever y your agenda is, sure. but there's so much more freedom than we were told there was. And yes. I think, you know, when I, in this, at this time, at this moment in the church and at least in the Western church and the church in America, mm. seeing people so burned out with their right. faith and so burned out with your religion, it breaks my heart to see people think, thinking that the Bible demands um, that rigidity Yes, when it's such an invitation to play and to joy and, mm -hmm. to, and to wrestle and yeah. to question and to push back. I mean, I was just thinking the other day about all of the angry Psalms and yeah. the Psalms that, that teach us how to yell at God. And there's one, I don't know if it's in the Psalms actually. Oh shoot, where is the one where, it might be in like Lamentations or Malachi or something, um, where the author says, you sold Israel for a pittance, like mm. just mad and gained nothing for the sale. Mm. It was, it's like this, it's angry, invective stuff that's right, right there in our Bible, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's not just an invitation to joy and to play, mm -hmm. it's an invitation to lament and to be angry. Yes. These are ancient people who, were, who have been, you know, wrestling with God, literally. The story mm -hmm. of Israel is about a man who wrestled with God. That's right. Um, you know, that's been part of it from the beginning. Yeah. And we're just invited into that. That's right. Um, and to say that it's been that way from the beginning, I see, I think that's something that's changed for me too, is I feel like when a lot of us first get exposed to any sort of scholarship, it's just so easy, even in more um, progressive circles. You know, you're like, well, here are these primitive people with their primitive yeah. texts and all the things they didn't understand. And because that's where, again, I feel like, my view of scripture has never been higher in the sense of, again, enchantment, sacred, like, because I'm even convinced at this point, there's almost a consciousness, like a self-awareness to the text. Um, you deal, and I love Phyllis Tribble's work on this, on texts of terror. There are texts of terror. There are texts that horrify us. But see, I'm, I think at this point, I'm more and more convinced those texts have always horrified people, that right. they're supposed to be horrifying. Right. And if scripture is supposed to work on an effective level, like is affections, like on our emotions, mm -hmm. that there's like an emotional intelligence to this. Yeah. No one's ever read the story of, um, you know, God's getting ready to wipe out the Israelites and Moses is pleading. No one's like, oh, God, get them. You know, like we're with Moses. Like, please, no, stop. Yeah. Like, how does that shape our affections? And for those, you know, who are Christians and, you know, leading all the way to Jesus or even something like, we like that Jacob is a great image of grace because, but it, 
but what about Esau? I feel bad for Esau. He's left out. You know? Yeah. What if we're supposed to feel that way? I'm yeah. so convinced now that a lot of things that before I thought, oh, this is terrible that I emotionally have this visceral reaction to the text, that that's actually the way the text is supposed to work on me. And that the things that trouble me even were intended to trouble me. Right. Even like the story of Jephthah's daughter, which is oh, a yeah. classic text of terror mm. and that Phyllis Tribble highlights in her book and that um, has bothered me for a long time. This is the story of of the man who promised that if God gave him victory in battle, that mm-hmm. whatever was the first thing to come out of his tent when he arrived home, he would offer up as a sacrifice to God. Mm. And it's his daughter. And unlike the story of Isaac, we don't have the divine intervention. Yeah. We don't have any rams and any thickets. It's, you know, it was a patriarchal culture. And so this daughter was essentially property. But it doesn't just leave it there. There's the end of the story is it says that, and this is why the women of Israel every year go out for four days to commemorate the story of the da- of the mm. daughter of Jephthah. And so the women of Israel remembered, like they mm. knew that what had happened was wrong. Yeah. And so we have this little clue in the text that this is not... Not everybody saw this as right. Not everybody mm-hmm. saw this as good. There were people objecting. The women were objecting even there, even yeah. then. And so certainly there are patriarchal assumptions because sure. it was a patriarchal culture. The people in that culture could not think any other way. And yet there are these little glimpses of mm. um, protest and mm-hmm. redemption and wrestling and pushing back. And so it's it's a joy to, to encounter those. and. Yeah. I think we we think far too little of people who lived in different times and different places than us. Yes. When we think that just because they wrote from a patriarchal culture and a very violent, uh, warlike culture, mm-hmm. that that's all they were and that they right. have nothing to say to us. Yeah. And that God would somehow like be above it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when the, like God is mm-hmm. in the business of stooping. Uh, yes. And to communicate in their language, mm-hmm. with their cosmological assumptions, with their cultural assumptions, like that's just kind of what God's always been doing mm-hmm. is stooping, stooping, stooping to to communicate to us. Yeah. So it's not some I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I I, I have more respect for the people of the time mm-hmm. uh, when I'm not trying to force them to either fit into sort of the paradigms that conservative evangelicalism right. tried to cram them into, or the very extreme, you know, most liberal progressive. And where it's like, well, none of this can be valuable because it was written in a patriarchal right. society. None of this can be valuable because it was written in a pre-scientific mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it can still be valuable. Absolutely. And I think there were still people protesting and there were still people of, of you know, interesting characters and interesting mm-hmm. perspectives and people encountering God. Even mm-hmm. then, like God didn't just decide to start showing up now. That's right. In our enlightened. Yes. <laughs> and we also think way too highly of ourselves. Either way, we're centering oh, ourselves sure. far too much in the Sure. In the text, I think, when we when we demand that it bend to um, one of those two kinds of paradigms. Well, especially, and this is one of the things I love about your book so much, when you let the text talk to the text, which what's one of the things I think you do so brilliantly is like it's, you do that in print, you know, like you don't just talk about that. That's largely what the book does is put puts the text in dialogue with other texts. And I just feel like that's, that's such a Jewish way of thinking. And it's so what we, like, like the disputation that it's in the contesting like that's where the good stuff is. Yeah, yeah. There's no getting around that. You can't skip to the punchline, you know, which is <laughs> yeah. what I think we want to do. Like yeah. just distill it down to like, well, the positive promise or something. You don't get there without, you don't get the blessing without the long night of wrestling. And Exactly. And you kind of have to demand the blessing. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> like, I'm going to wrestle right. with you until I get a blessing. And yes. there's a lot of texts, a lot of biblical stories 
and uh, from old, you know, from Hebrew scripture all the way to the New Testament that I've yet to get my blessing on. And, yeah. But yeah. I, you know, I'm not giving up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, there's still a lot that don't make sense to me or that trouble me or that have been used in so many, like just used and abused and violent and sure. demeaning ways that it's like really hard to see any redemption in them. Mm-hmm. Um, those are still there for me, but I, I just, I can't give up on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Why don't you think you can give up? Hmm. This is the question too. Like, why, why are you still a Christian? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, just cause the story, first of all, it's just Jesus. You know, hmm. the story of Jesus is just, it's the story I'm willing to risk being wrong about. I love that <laughs> just, line book. <laughs> well, so it's great. just, it, it just, that's how I answer anytime anybody asks me why I'm still mm-hmm. a Christian. It's because I just, I know I could be wrong. I know I could have all of this wrong, but just something about Jesus, the story of Jesus is just remains so compelling. I'm willing to take the risk of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I can't give up, uh, up on it. I think it actually, frankly, helps a background in literature and a love yeah. for literature helps me see that like stories don't have to be like trying to force a story into a genre. It was never meant to be made you know like mm-hmm. trying to force a story that is a creation myth into history like you're actually yeah. that's not the best way to read it you're not right. actually reading it for all it's worth when you're trying to force it into the wrong genre mm-hmm. that makes sense to me because of my love of literature sure and knowing that something doesn't have to be historical to be true right um is that's important so i think a lot of inspired focuses on genre classification yeah. i was like yeah. how do i make genre classification fun because mm-hmm. i really feel like that's at the heart of a lot of misunderstanding around the bible is people Absolutely. are applying the wrong genre to the text we forget the epistles are letters they're yeah. letters and right. we're reading them like laws you know right. we forget that um job is poetry and yes. you know it's and that genesis one and two are creation stories like taken right out of you know, taking lots of pages from how ancient Near Eastern creation narratives were told. Mm-hmm. So like trying to make that interesting to people was the the work of this book and to make yeah. it fun. Um, but I think that's one reason why I still love the Bible and am drawn to it is because I just think these are really good stories. Yes. Like we get so used to them. We forget like this story about a guy who really didn't want to go, you know, bring, um, you know, God to this group of people that he hated. So mm. God sends a giant fish to eat him mm-hmm. for three days and then spit him up on shore. That's up. And then it ends with this bizarre, you know, Jonah decides to still throw a little hissy fit and he goes right. out. <laughs> he goes out and complains. And then God takes away the tiny little shrub that was giving him shade. Mm-hmm. Like these are interesting, funny complicated stories and i cannot get enough of them every time somebody comes in with a new take on jonah or Mm -hmm. a new take on jephthah's daughter i'm like whoa i never thought about that hagar for example you want to talk about Mm. like this hagar is just you know a one of the few women important significant women characters in Mm -hmm. hebrew uh scripture and so many people have so many different takes on her especially uh, women coming from womanist uh, perspectives yeah. like the womanist uh, tradition of interpretation, um, which is like looking at that story from the perspective of the unique perspective of a black woman. Mm-hmm. So looking at the story of Hagar, who was an enslaved woman from Egypt, from Africa, uh, living with Abraham and Isaac, um, enslaved by them. Like mm-hmm. a black woman from America is going to read that story differently than I am. Right. And I cannot get enough of yeah. that that experience of encounter of, of having a story that I've known my whole life and then meeting somebody and reading their take on it or talking with them about it and seeing it in a 
whole new different way. And it happens over and over and over Mm -hmm. and over. So I just like, you've seen my desk. It's just, it's a pile. It's stacks and stacks of books about biblical interpretation because I get excited to hear all these different takes on these stories. So yeah, I think it's just like Jesus and also just I'm, I'm compelled by really good stories, you know, and these are good stories. Mm. Well, I love that. I feel like you made that so clear in the book. I just really, it can't be overstated how there's just, there's not one way to interpret any particular story. And then that's what's intended. That's the thing. This isn't some proper, no, like this is how the text is supposed to work. Yeah. I, I find it so interesting how I feel like now, maybe even more than ever, like, the the mystic side of my brain is more activated. I don't know, just the way that certain phrases or images from scripture will come to me in ways that are very profound and important. But I know that, like, again, aren't necessarily playing by all the contextual rules. Yeah. But it's like, I feel, you know, I feel like that's what, that's what Paul does. It's like he's so soaked in the language of scripture. Yeah. That no matter what he's talking about, that's always what he's talking about because that's like, that's just the sea that he's swimming yeah, in. Yeah, it's know? the images, the language. I mean, and Jesus did it too all the time, you know, like the serpent, I'm looking up at the serpent on the this, this, uh, pole. <laughs> what am I trying to say? <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. You're like, I wouldn't have gone to that. Like, you sure. know, there's a lot of times you'll be reading Jesus and you're like, well, I wouldn't have gone to that. Um, that image or that story to illustrate this, mm-hmm. but he does. And that's completely within the conventions of, you know, Second Temple Judaism. Like mm-hmm. he was not being, he wasn't even being that radical, you sure. know, in, in doing that. And yet we, you know, a lot of folks today would would probably have some criticism for Jesus and mm-hmm. say, well, that's kind of a stretch yeah. <laughs> to go to yeah. that text. But, you know, he was playing a little bit. One question I was simply to ask you, especially in sitting out to write this book about scripture, was there anything, especially as you dug in your research, were there any really significant surprises, like things that just came out in that that you just weren't looking for? That Something that has been new for me is I loving the story of Job. I used mm. to hate that story. That used to be one of, that's one of those that I was waiting on my blessing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well, this makes God seem like a jerk because mm-hmm. like Job is just kind of like, he seems like he's just a prop between this and there's this weird bet between God and Satan about like how he's going to, it seems really cruel, but like understanding the genre of that text a little bit better and really immersing myself into it and seeing how it is this very ancient dialogue in disagreement with much of the rest of scripture about why the bad things happen to good people Mm -hmm. and the general thinking. And you'll see, you can find passages of scripture that if you pluck them out of their context, you could say, Bad things happen to people who do bad works. Yeah. And there, there's lines that Job's friends are saying that I've heard pastors quote. They're basically Proverbs. Right, right. <laughs> they sound like the book of Proverbs yeah. and Psalms. Like, you know, the wicked will, this is where the, we see the first instance of you reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. So it's a perfect example of how in the Bible you reap what you sow except when you don't. Except like, when you don't. Job yeah. is the big except when you don't. Mm-hmm. And so rather than just having a few splattering of verses that say, except not, there's this huge story, this compelling, interesting story mm-hmm. right in the middle of scripture about a man who did everything by the book and mm-hmm. still suffered. 
And it's this wrestling with why did that happen? And Job's friends are not the heroes of that story. The best part of that whole story is when God has this awesome burn. And it's like, <laughs> he's like, you know, he's, he, he's like, um, he tells Job to intercede for the friends mm. because God doesn't really want anything to do with these friends because mm -hmm. they did not speak the truth to Job mm -hmm. and telling him that his sin had caused him to suffer. Yeah. It's like this awesome moment. Anyway, so the, the poetry of Job, there's there's parts of it that still leave you unsatisfied because yeah. it doesn't answer the question. Sure. <laughs> it does not solve the odyssey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it sure it sure takes apart the idea that you have what's coming to you. That's right. And it, it does right. in a big way. And it's mm -hmm. actually really beautiful poetry. Tennyson yes. said he thought that Job was the most beautiful poem ever written yeah. um, in the history of mankind. And mm -hmm. I, it is really beautiful. Mm -hmm. So parts of it are kind of unsatisfying. But every time I go to Job, I, I find something new that I mm. like. So that was a fun one to spend some time on mm. and inspired. And I do every other chapter, I do kind of a creative retelling of yes, the Bible stories. And for that one, I did a screenplay and I had mm -hmm. so much fun kind of modernizing it and writing it as though it were happening in a cafeteria at a, mm. a university. And so that was super fun. And yeah, now it's like when people ask me my favorite Bible story, Job is up there yeah. as one of my favorites. I love everything. So, you know, the great Old Testament uh, scholar Walter Brueggemann once said that Job's in the Bible to show us that Proverbs is wrong. <laughs> Some of that have conversations <laughs> right. like it is because, you know, as you know, I've spent a lot of time there in the last few years. And it's just, man, yeah, like there, there's such a playfulness in yeah. even in God's responses. Things yeah. that before I read as harsh, yeah. now I read as being more playful. Right. And I think for and I think first foremost, Job is intended to be kind of an epic poem. Like if you're not reading that as super literal, wouldn't it's just right. I don't know. It there's, comes alive. Yes. You know, no, the Job thing, I will just uh drop this one footnote because I feel like maybe if I if we say something like on record, maybe then I could push her. I still love this idea of us doing something on the monsters. Yes, like I, I was just to about to bring that up myself. Because if we're on Job, we're on Leviathan. Yes, yes. Okay, this is an idea that that Jonathan and I have had for a long time is to do a collaborative project on the the monsters of the Bible. I think we said this much book fun, has right? not been done, or it has it. I don't think a book just on the monsters Not that for I'm aware a popular of. audience nope. mm -mm. has been done. And we could That's do right. it. You and I could do it. We really could. There's a great chapter in uh, How to Survive a Shipwreck, but it's just a chapter. Yeah. I didn't pay you for that plug, but thank you. Yeah. No, but it is a really good, because I remember because we had this conversation before that was yeah. published and I got to that chapter and I was like, I was both excited because I knew you had some really good thoughts mm. on this and then also a little disappointed because I was like, this could be a whole book. I know. So, but that's okay. A lot of us take, turn chapters into whole books like yes yes nothing wrong with that i think it was even rob bell i don't know super but one conversation is like he was like god loves monsters like that's a book yes. when rob bell tells you something's a book title i'm like mm -hmm. i probably really should be listening to that and i want you to think <laughs> just for a minute about the cover art on that oh, I, I mean the possibilities i know <laughs> or even inside too like if every chapter had a just one image you're the that one was who's of... like a little more open right now i'm contracted for the next two so if you want to just go ahead and write yeah. this i'll blurb it for you okay fair enough you're i don't we don't have you don't have to wait on me okay fair enough you'll do that like two in kids. advance that's awesome that's i've got two kids now anybody waiting on me is gonna be waiting forever right. so fair enough fair if enough. you want to go ahead and write your monster's book that's you can just awesome. count on me for a blurb <laughs> and then to later be like that was totally my idea i would love to i would love to tag team on some of them i think that i really do think yeah. that would be amazing because oh, yeah. it's you know even that sense all throughout the book of you know the in the right ways, the childishness of the text that, I mean, that's what Jesus tells us. We have to become like a child. Yeah. There is the world full of monsters and yeah. creatures and, you know, and then we try to read it in such a constrictive adult 
Yeah, well, I remember people trying to use Leviathan to explain that there were dinosaurs in the time. Right. Oh, well. <laughs> the Hebrew yes. scripture. I kind yes. of grew up in. It was pretty hardcore um, young earth creationism. So that was supposed to be proof of a dinosaur. That's hilarious. When I was a child, I wrote a poem about Leviathan. You did? Mm -hmm. you As still a have child. It? Oh, I'm sure my mom does. <laughs> I I've got a poem, poem to the Beast of Revelation and, and inspired, but that was my first. I remember I wrote all about the teeth and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's great, too, because, like, I mean, you're in good company because it is God who, who, it's in the voice of God where we get the whole poem about Leviathan and Job. So, like, you know, you and God basically write poems That's... about Leviathan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my childhood one was better than the one I, seriously, you, if you have, if you wrote, Poetry as a child, it's way better than anything you would attempt. Oh, sure. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> anything That's you so attempt true. right now. That's that so was, true. I was like, I will put one poem in this book and it will be only okay. But I should have I should have dug through my mom's boxes for that. For our monsters book, that, I will. That has to be in the book. I really have to see this now. If I have to contact your mom, like whatever we have to do to get to that poem, <laughs> that really, that's so, a Oh, mom will lead you now. into the room where she's got like boxes of all the stuff I've read. She's oh, that's there. Amazing. I know, they're so sweet. That's I don't keep fantastic. any of it. They keep all of it. So brilliant, so brilliant. I'm curious, um, I have all these questions, but since Inspired has been out for a minute now, I'm curious as to how the book has been received. Like what's... You know, for the most part, actually the response has been pretty positive. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's because the people who would normally push back just have kind of abandoned ship with mm. me anyway. Like, I, you know, I don't, yeah, I think, but... Yeah, it's been really positive. Mm. Most people seem to, I think the thing I'm most happy to hear is that people seem to think it's a really good conversation starter if they're yeah. using it in their small group. Like, oh man, this started this like four hour long conversation mm -hmm. we never planned to even get into. That's like, mm -hmm. oh good, it's working. Like that mm -hmm. means it did what I was kind of intending to accomplish. And I've heard that a lot. So that's yeah. super encouraging to hear. And you talk about how in the book, I love that, about how that's how the text itself works is that it's supposed to be a start to a conversation, not the right. end of the conversation. In order to create community. Yeah. Like this, these stories were never meant to be read in isolation or understood in isolation or applied. No, people couldn't read. Like mm -hmm. this, th these stories were meant to be engaged in community. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the real contours and shapes come out in conversation and community. And so it's like, mm -hmm. this is just one of those other ways where God's like, hey, you should totally be like hanging out with people. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The Bible's at its best when you're hanging out with people yes. and you're talking about it together. Yeah. Like, uh, and I think that's beautiful. It's a beautiful mm. invitation into community. So um, that's why it's always good to hear that feedback. I mean, there's been some, a little bit of pushback, but that's mostly from people who haven't you know, read the book. Sure, sure. Like, but nobody can read it and say, well, Rachel hates the Bible. Because that's no. a common thing that I hear is like, well, Rachel mm. Held Evans just has no respect for the Bible. Oof. And like, even if you disagree with like all of my interpretive methods, <laughs> even if you think my scholarship is, you know, shoddy, you're not going to walk away from that thinking that I hate the Bible. No, so. <laughs> no, you take you take the text very seriously. And I think it's, that's true for a lot of people, too. Their, yes. their friends and family don't understand yeah. that the, the reason they're interpreting it this way, it's not the, the reason they've changed is not out of hatred mm -hmm. of scripture or hatred mm -hmm. of Jesus or church. It's all out of love for it. It's like yeah. one of the reasons why people are angry at the church right now is because they love the church. Yeah, absolutely. The reason people That's right. wrestle That's right. with the Bible to begin with is because they love it. Like mm -hmm. we love it. And so we really want to try to make sense of it. The reason mm -hmm. some of us are just raging mad <laughs> at evangelicalism right. right now, at least American evangelicalism, is because like deep down we love it. Absolutely. <laughs> it's what, absolutely. You know, there's a connection there yeah. um, that we can't, even when we leave the tradition, we can't just mm -hmm. completely walk away. Mm -hmm. So, so much of, and I know that's something that people struggle to 
to express to yes. the people who are in their life who don't understand their journey and their evolving faith. They don't, mm-hmm. it's hard to express that I'm, all of this is happening out of a sincere desire for truth right. and out of a love for um, these traditions. And yeah. yeah. I was just thinking, Rachel, actually, and I don't know how you'd feel about any of this. I've not said this out loud before, but I always love talking to you in general about, you know, just church and culture and where things are. It's so interesting to watch, even using the phrase evolving faith. And I, I so love being able to speak at evolving faith. It was a wonderful conference. I'm so glad you guys are doing it again this year. It was, it was, I had a very powerful experience at evolving faith. But I'm just think, thinking about your role with that. And just as your vocation, of course, one of the things I like most about what you do is I feel like you never, there was never a sense of agenda. You were always a person who was kind of like living this journey in real time and taking people with you. Like it never felt like you were trying to too hard to steer people in a particular place. Yeah. But I find it interesting, like when I think about, and I hadn't before this moment, because of course I loved, um, I loved your, I, I loved Still Searching for Sunday and I loved, um, I love Inspired. But it's interesting to, I just feel like earlier in your career, so there's this phase where there's the initial shock of, you know, this girl from Dayton, Tennessee is challenging the institution and sort of the neo-reformed and the Piper types. Everybody's all like whatever. And then it's like, you know, this this is very rebellious and whatever. I just find it so interesting because I feel like now what you do, and even a book like this one, Last Few, it's like there's not cynicism. There's not angst. It's very much... This is what editors are for. Right, well, yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, right, of course. Same. But it's like you're. it's so building the new thing on the other side. I mean, because in a weird way, I really, like inspired to me, I, I, this was one of my thoughts where like this would be because I generally just dislike apologetics of the way we heard like the sort of evidence that demands a verdict. I don't, right. I've never read any evidence that demands a particular verdict right. for me. <laughs> but this for me now, like I think in the moment we're in would be like my version of apologetics. I'm mm, like, this is like, yeah, you know, so it's just interesting because I feel like at this point you're there's just so many people I think who are able to, to, to resonate with your work. And it's a re it is a reason to stay. It is a reason to contend. Yeah. And I think it's very, it's very orthodox. It's so situated. So, so clearly within the tradition. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, I've, the thing is that the way I see it is the only way that this work is sustainable for me is if I'm honest with people. Yeah. Like, and if I'm not trying to persuade people of something that I am not persuaded of, Mm. or, um, I mean, we all have those days where, you know, the doubt is very profound and real, but I tell people that, like, sure. I don't tell, I don't believe this all the time. There are days mm-hmm. when I don't believe a word of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I just, I've found that people will stay with you and, and, and listen to you. Um, if they feel like you're being honest with them, yeah. you don't have to have it figured out. You don't have to be right. You don't have to, um, you don't even have to have a, a brand or a cohesive sure. <laughs> message. Sure. If you're if you're honest and you say something in a little bit of a different way than other people have said it, then mm-hmm. it's like you'll find other people who resonate. Right. And then that right. community kind of starts to build your voice too. Yeah. It feels like the people who read me and I start to read what they have to say and we all kind of start sort of it's the iron sharpening iron. Yes. Um yes. and it's a really beautiful. I feel really lucky, blessed, privileged. I don't know what the right word is there, mm. but I, I feel lucky to be, to get to do this work. Yeah. Um, it's really rewarding. Mm. And I get to like hang out with you in my basement. Absolutely. Which is fantastic. Like one of my favorite really podcasts is in my basement. Oh, that's, that's cool. so awesome. That's, <laughs> that's I love that you thing. listen to podcasts. That means so much to me. It really well, does. I listen to a few. Yours is one of truly a very few. I don't have a lot of listening time because I have no commute. Right. Sure. I work right. from home and yes. also baby. Oh, oh, hi. She's, she's making a comment. Uh-huh. 
Harper. Yes. What do you think about textual criticism? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the mysteries of Job and Leviathan? She does not mm-hmm. warm to people, but she has warmed to John. It's taken a little Actually, bit of time. There was a while. suspicion at first. Who is this very large, hairy man? But like, it's, her dad it's definitely is also having... tall. That helps. So right, it wasn't right. It has a beard. Yes, yeah. it wasn't uh. completely out of her <laughs> range. Do you? Um, and I, we, you know, we could wrap up for sure. But I'm kind of thinking. I don't know. Um, and and I, there's these questions I love to ask you because. It's more like for my own benefit, maybe as much as anything as I'm on my own journey. Do you find yourself handling criticism differently now when you do get kind of the book? Because I just feel like as platform grows and we're in such a uniquely polarized time like we talk about and so many bad faith arguments and things that are getting misinterpreted and yet you're still out there every day. It bothers me less. And I don't know if that's a good thing, Mm. actually. Like now that I think about it, it bothers me less because it's become pretty routine. Yeah. You know, the criticism, even really ugly, scary criticism. Um, And, you know, I always said, you know, thick skin, tender heart is kind of my mantra. Like I want to grow thick skin so that, you know, if you if you write in the public, if you do anything in public these days, you're going to be subjected to a lot of scrutiny. So you have to grow thick skin, but I don't want it to be so thick that I don't have a tender heart anymore Mm. and that I can't be moved by criticism that might be justified or, um, I can't just even be hurt, mm-hmm. like be human enough to be hurt by the cruel things people say. Sure. I want to keep that tender heart, um, but it's it's hard, actually. And yeah. and I, so like the fact that I'm handling it better, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if that mm. that means I've become too calloused to it. But, um, you know, you get criticism, too. It's sure. pretty. There's a pretty steady stream. Yeah. And it does kind of start to all kind of bleed together. And, and you, you, but I don't I, I don't know. Yeah, I've gotten I've gotten better at handling it. <laughs> well, I feel, I feel like you're so grounded too, and like and th- like this is your real life and your family. You know what I'm saying? I feel like there's such a sense of just grounding in terms of I don't know, not having too much identity at stake. In. Yeah. Well, I hope, but I mean, I think like all of us, we all wrestle with that. I sure. think even you don't even have to have a large following to feel like a lot of your identity is wrapped up in who you present yourself to be on social media, and so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I certainly haven't cracked that code. That's yeah. something I wrestle with a lot is yeah. like, who am I outside of this? And, and, and I don't want there to be too much incongruence between those two things. But also, like, realistically, there always will be. There's always sure. the curated version of yourself, and, and, and there's always gonna be a little bit of a difference there. Yeah. Um, actually, having kids has been kind of, it's been helpful in the sense of like, there's stories that are great stories that I will never share. Sure. And I, I think it's good to have some of those sort of secrets, if you will, mm-hmm. good kind of secrets in your life. Stories that, uh, and moments that maybe would translate beautifully on the page, but you're just going to keep it for you yeah. and your kids. Um, yeah. And that's good. That reminds me that I'm somebody besides what I write. Right. I'm somebody besides what I produce. Um, and, tr- you know, keeping them mostly out of the spotlight has been and yet they are they giving me great content here, you know. Oh, sure, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> being really selective about what I share about them has been um, enlightening and helping me understand that, like, I'm not just, not everything is material. <laughs> you know, some things are just meant to be lived and experienced. I love that. Well, thank you so much for, again, letting me come and hang out. This is, again, I love the book. I want everybody to read it. And I just, I'm just so thankful for the work that you're doing. In general, I love Evolving Faith and the community that you're creating around all oh, that. Oh, we it's were just, so glad to have you at Evolving Faith. Like that, really you made it like just 
your role, you know, in serving as communion was really powerful and special. And so we were very happy to have you. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. It really has been a pleasure. Oh, Such an honor to be here. thanks for coming to Dayton. So. It means a lot. You're an important person in my life, and I'm so glad that you're here. Oh, and same here. I so <laughs> respect you and just love your work and just glad we get to do this together. Yeah, me too. Thank you for listening today. For more, go to jonathanmartinwords.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to become a patron of this podcast and help keep it alive, go to patreon.com slash sonofapreacherman and we would appreciate your love and support. Now remember, no matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast can help you come to find the love that calls you by your true name. God bless.